This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. Welcome into NBA Sound System. I am your host, Carlin Gay. You can follow me on Twitter at the Carlin Gay. Flying solo this week. My main man, Micah Adams, is off on a well-deserved vacation with the family, but he'll be back next week to yell at me and tell us all why Zion Williamson is the greatest player in his mind that has ever played the game. Uh, but we'll fly solo this week without Micah Adams, and on this very episode, we'll hear from Nick Nurse, the Toronto Raptor head coach. We'll hear from James Harden. We'll hear from Steven Adams, and later on, we'll also have a special interview at the end of the podcast but first i'm here to tell you why lebron james should be this year's mvp uh news came out this week that the award voting has now all been submitted so the eight games in orlando the eight seeding games of course will have no effect on the end of season awards but let me just get this out of the way. I, I don't have to vote. I don't have anything uh, to, to do with the NBA voting. I did not participate in the voting for the final awards this season. This is just my opinion. And in one man's opinion, mine, LeBron James should be the MVP. Do I believe LeBron's going to win the MVP award? No. I think Giannis Antetokounmpo has done everything he can to secure that vote from everybody else. But if it was up to me, uh, I think that LeBron James is the MVP. Uh, this season, uh, it, it, you know, LeBron has done an incredible job of, of being the best version of himself at the age that he's at. Uh, you ask yourself, you know, you know, what does it mean to be an MVP? What does that exactly mean? I mean, it means different things at different times, really, in NBA history. Sometimes, I mean, to, to some people, it actually just means the best player in the league. And if that was the case, then in my vote would actually go to Kawhi Leonard, who I think is pound for pound right now today the best player in the league is the most valuable meaning you could take somebody off of their team and, and and what that team would actually be if that was the case i still wouldn't give it to Giannis because i think if you remove Giannis from the bucks they still would have a playoff team in the eastern conference if you remove lebron from the lakers or luca from the mavericks or james harden from the rockets i think those teams are all lottery bound and before you tell me that the Lakers would be fine with just AD, uh, just look at the teams that AD had in New Orleans. He struggled to bring those teams to the playoffs. Imagine what he would have to do with Kyle Kuzma as his second best player. I don't think that they'd be playoff bound with LeBron James off of the Lakers either. So so what is the MVP award to me? And and to me, I, I think the, the, the meaning of the MVP award changes every single year. Uh, you know, some people may look at it through if you look through the history of like MVP award winners, the guys that have won it in, in, in past, you'll see that sometimes it goes to the best player in the league. In the case of Will Chamberman or or you know Michael Jordan, sometimes it goes to the most valuable player, meaning that if you take them off their team, their team would fall apart. You know, you look at Allen Iverson in, in that situation, you look at Kevin Garnett, the time that he won in Minnesota in that situation. And sometimes it goes to the more, you know, historical statistical season. That could be Steph Curry. That could be, you know, Russell Westbrook when he broke, uh, you know, when he uh, 
set a triple double or average a triple double for the first time in you know how many of years since Oscar Robinson did it. And it could be narrative driven. And then you look at Kobe Bryant, you look at uh, you know Carl Malone, who both won it due to narratives. And and this season, I, I think the award should be surrounded by the narrative. And that's why it should go to LeBron James. Because at age 35, again, he's been incredible, still playing at the top of his game. He's doing things we didn't think we would see him do at this time and at this point in his career. Leading the league in assists. He's on the best team out west. He's not, he has him at the, you know, has the best record in the toughest conference. They're five and a half games ahead of the LA Clippers. Five and a half games. That's a lot of games to be ahead of the LA Clippers as we head to the restart in Orlando. In four years, we've heard LeBron can't hack it out west. He, he's only ever made it to eight straight finals because he was doing it playing against the East. The East is by far the weaker conference. LeBron couldn't possibly do what he's doing in his career out west, except that he has. And I know that Giannis is having a terrific season, historical season. But why isn't the same argument that was made against LeBron James made for Giannis? Why don't we hear how weak the East is now when Giannis is dominating the Eastern Conference? When you look back at LeBron's career, whenever it ends, I don't know if I'm going to be okay with the fact that the dude has only won four league MVP awards. Me and Michael went through it one episode, uh, a couple episodes actually ago on, on NBA Sound System. We went through every single year that LeBron should have won the MVP. We came away with maybe four is around the right number. But this season, I feel like we should add on to that total. And, and, and let's not, you know, com- confuse ourselves and say that, you know, narrative-driven awards or narrative-driven MVP awards or even the lifetime achievement MVP hasn't happened in NBA history because it has. Like I said, Karl Malone won his first MVP award because voters looked at him and said, there's no way that the best power forward at that time, the best power forward potentially in NBA history, could end his career without winning an MVP award. He won it at age 33. It should have probably been to Mike, it should have probably gone to Michael Jordan, who was having an incredible year. They made up for it next season, giving Michael Jordan the MVP award. And then Karl Malone actually wins it again the year after. So Two out of three years, Karl Malone got a pretty much, quote-unquote, narrative-driven MVP. Same thing goes for Kobe Bryant in no way. Kobe Bryant, I am one of the biggest Kobe Bryant fans you'll ever find. Kobe Bryant goes his entire career without an MVP award, league MVP award. We're looking at him a little differently than we do now, and voters recognize that. In no way, he gets the nod over Chris Paul, who probably should have won the award, given what he was able to do with that New Orleans Hornets squad and, and carry them as far as they did, or he did, rather, in the regular season. And then it goes the other way as well. Tim Duncan, his rookie season in 1999, had a terrific year for the San Antonio Spurs. In fact, they won the NBA championship. He should have won the MVP award. But they gave it to Carmelo because Tim Duncan was, quote-unquote, too young. He was a rookie. They weren't going to give him the rookie or the MVP award. They gave him the rookie of the year award instead. LeBron's been on the wrong end of narratives before. He's come second in a war, you know, in MVP races that he probably should have won. And he's also been voted against because he was too young to win an MVP award. We owe LeBron some votes. And in my opinion, this is the year that he should get them cashed in. I know it's not a lifetime achievement award, but sometimes narratives absolutely do matter. And in the MVP race this season, 
Sorry to all the stat geeks out there. The narrative is too strong for LeBron James. You got to vote LeBron, and he should win this year's MVP. Coming up next, we will have an opportunity to listen to some sound from Raptors head coach Nick Nurse, James Harden, and Steven Adams. But first, we got to remind you, this week we have live NBA basketball coming up. Now, the games won't matter. They're going to be scrimmages, but they're going to be on TV. 16 games, 16 games. That's at least two a day for the rest of the week. Going to be live on NBA TV starting tomorrow, which is Wednesday July 22nd at 3 p.m. You can catch some scrimmages of NBA basketball. And uh, I'm excited. I hope you are too. And that leads us all the way up to Sunday's big day of scrimmages. There are going to be four games. It's almost like, treat it like an NFL Sunday. Sit down and watch NBA basketball. Four games back to back to back. I cannot wait for it. Four games on NBA TV. If you don't have NBA TV, now's the time to go out and get it. You can watch the Philadelphia 76ers take on the Thunder, Indiana take on Dallas Mavericks, the Portland Trailblazers and Toronto Raptors, and we will close with the Houston Rockets and the Memphis Grizzlies. Four games, four scrimmages, all on NBA TV. You'll have at least two games a day from now until the start of the season on NBA TV beginning on Wednesday, July 22nd. If you do not have NBA TV, do yourself a favor. Go out and get it. You can get it now. It's time to uh, to bring in a familiar voice, the voice that you do hear at the start of the show. His name is Lawrence Scott. Lawrence. Hey, Carlin. Thank you so much. I'm doing great and, and, and really excited to be joining the program here live on NBA sites around the world as uh, you and Micah always do a great sound system live show. And now that we are looking at the game's beginning in the form of scrimmages, we want to go inside the bubble. And to do so, let's start with a conversation that took place last week. Now, the Raptors had arrived in Florida a little bit early, and they had some practices. And Doug Smith, longtime Raptors beat reporter, part of the scene on Zoom with Raptors head coach Nick Nurse, is they were talking last week about what it really is to get back to playing basketball. Hey, Nick, how you doing? I'm doing good, Doug. How are you? All right, thanks. Um, I think you've gone, what, two weeks in Naples and now a week in Orlando, and now you don't play a game for another eight days. What's the challenge going to be to keep them engaged basketball-wise for this extended period of time? Yeah, Doug, again, it is a challenge, and it's interesting. It's something that we really don't go through. You know, even in training camp, we, you know, we're usually playing by about the fifth day, you know, like in front of like, 20,000 people, you know, we're out in Vancouver or whatever. We're probably have had an inner squad scrimmage in a, at a university or something in, it, before that too. So uh, it is interesting. I think it's, uh, again, you're, you're doing a lot of, um, you know, a little bit more uh, like, like we've started doing, you know, on, off, a lot, lot of review and things like that. And again, just, just trying to build up some of that, um, you know, just some just some strength, really, and, and some endurance. You know, Carlin, these are the defending champs, and usually that has a lot of pomp and circumstance, and the Raptors want to remind folks of that as they get back to action with these scrimmages, but then when the games begin, too. 
Yeah, they certainly do. They uh, they're they're riding around Orlando in a bus that has uh, defending champs pretty much painted on, and also uh, you know Black Lives Matter as well. They're very uh, they're very outspoken about you know their 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 wants and their need to change, led by uh, you know Masai Ujiri and 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 the entire really Maple Leaf sports organization. They do an incredible job of of really trying to push uh, the narrative and 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 really pushed a conversation uh to to a uh, to a larger extent uh but when you talk about basketball wise when you're talking about the toronto raptors in my opinion nick nurse is now entered the conversation as one of the best coaches in the nba and last season he kind of got overlooked because he was playing with you know like i said at, at the top in my opinion the best player in the league pound for pound and Kawhi leonard and that kind of, you know, we've seen it with Phil Jackson. We've seen it. We've even seen it with Steve Kerr. When you have talent on your team, your coaching acumen kind of takes a little bit of a backseat in most people's minds as if, you know, I know you can't win without talent, but some coaches really, uh, you really don't get the credit that they deserve because the talent kind of overshines things. And we're seeing how good of a coach Nick Nurse is this season now that Kawhi Leonard is playing elsewhere. And and he has to rely on uh, really his X's and O's and, and, and his game planning to, to put guys in the perfect situation. You look at what he's done with the roster. Norm Powell has been terrific. He's having a breakout season. I think a lot of that has to do with the confidence Nick Nurse has instilled in him. OG Ananobi pretty much did not play at all in the, in the playoff run. And the, and the Raptors really kind of missed what he brought to the table. Well, now he's right back into the starting unit, and that's due to Nick Nurse putting the confidence back in him. Kyle Lowry's back to being, you know, playing at a high level after taking maybe a step back to allow Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green to have some of that offensive workload. And we've seen what Pascal Siakam has done, turned himself into an absolute stud of a player and potentially an all-NBA candidate this season. In my opinion, Nick Nurse is the coach of the year this season. He's entered the conversation as one of the best coaches in the league. And, and when it's all said and done, I, I think that he will be wearing multiple championship rings, uh, providing the Raptors continue to, br- to bring in talent for him to kind of uh, cultivate throughout his coaching career. Now let's turn over to the Western Conference side of things, and all the teams are there together. So East and West is kind of blurred here, but the Rockets on the scene and you know, looking to make some noise in Orlando, the arrival of James Harden, because it came after the team had arrived, did get some questions in the Zoom teleconference. And uh, as we listen to a little bit from when he had arrived just last week, we hear from the Houston Chronicles, Jonathan Fagan first, then uh, Tim McMahon of ESPN. But these are some of the things that were directed toward the beard. All right, we'll get this started. First question, Jonathan Fagan. Hi, James. Uh can you clear it up for us uh, why you had to delay your arrival and how do you feel about that now that you are back? Uh, so I had some family issues, but I'm happy I'm here. Uh, I felt actually really, really good to be out here with the, with the guys and, you know, getting after it, uh, just pushing our way. Every single day is, uh, is going to be a new challenge for us, but I think we're in the right steps. Thank you. Tim McMahon. Hey, James. Um, having missed a little bit of time, I understand you were working out at home. Uh, you know, where do you feel you are in terms of rhythm, conditioning? What are you looking to get out of uh, out of the scrimmages? I feel like I'm in a good place. Uh, today was actually the first time that I actually played pickup, you know, some 5-on-5 contact in, you know, over a month. Uh, individual working out and conditioning is totally different. You know, it's, uh, you know, you can do track workouts, you can do all different type of conditioning workouts, but 
when you're actually out there, you get bumped and you got to actually make plays and make reads and get up and down the court. Um, it's totally different. So it felt really good today. I think it, I pushed myself through it today. And uh, like I said, every single day, just got to continue to get better. You know, it's going to be a modified summer league of sorts, Carlin, as these teams do get back to action. And you think about it, I mean, baseball is doing it right now with what they're calling summer camps as they're about to set to play real Major League Baseball games. But the NBA with these scrimmages, it's sort of like the preseason, but it's different conditioning. And for the Rockets and the rhythm that they had worked out earlier in the season is making sure that uh, Russ and James were at, you know, full throttle. This is going to be an interesting and key time for a team that's based on a lot of scoring. Yeah, no question about that. I mean, first and foremost, uh, you know, it, we're you know thankful that James Harden is healthy and, and able to to be there and be a part of the bubble. I know initially when you know reports came out that he wasn't with the team uh, at the start of this uh, process, many thought that he had you know uh, had had contracted coronavirus, but. He, he said it right there. You heard it, that it wasn't that. That wasn't the case. It was family issues. So hopefully those are resolved and he can get back to focusing on basketball. And the basketball side of things is interesting. I mean, people think that, you know, you can work out as a professional athlete and stay in shape and do all those things. But playing basketball and working out on your own are two completely different things. Basketball conditioning and, and, and being in shape are two completely different things. And to hear him say that he has not played in a scrimmage or anything in over a month up until that practice is is, is something that I think uh, Rockets fans and also fans of the, all the 22 teams that are going to be in Orlando really have to take into consideration in, in terms of what these scrimmages are going to mean for these guys. Each team is going to play three scrimmages. They're 10-minute quarters. They're going to be loosely played. But they probably shouldn't be loosely played. I, I think guys like James Harden, who were in a great rhythm, as you mentioned, Lawrence, should use these scrimmages for a little bit more than a quote-unquote preseason. They should use them to get back into the rhythm of where they once were. Teams that were together or have been together for years are going to have an advantage getting back up to speed quicker than some of these teams that have been put together at the last minute. You think about the Clippers, in my opinion right now, going into the Orlando bubble, they are the favorites to walk away with the Larry O'Brien trophy. But Kawhi Leonard and Paul George haven't even played a full season yet. And and for them to kind of have this uh, sort of pause in the middle of the season, something we've never seen before, but also to strip their chemistry and, 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 and really what they were building towards, to now have to start back up and relearn each other, that's going to be tough for teams like that. Teams like the Raptors, the Bucks, uh, the Rockets to a to a lesser extent, uh, you know, the, even the Lakers are going to have some trouble to get back up to speed. It's okay to to to, to that we're going to see some uh, some sort of board bumps in the road as we get to see some of these games on NBA TV uh, in the scrimmages. I wasn't coming in it with the impression that we would see anything meaningful. I didn't think we would see meaningful basketball. I thought we were going to see a lot of the young guys play uh, and, and a lot of the stars. You may be using this for conditioning, but it might have to be a little bit more than that as they try to get rhythm going because eight games is not a long time before we get into the playoffs. And if you slip on a banana peel ahead of those playoffs, yeah, you could be sitting at home a lot quicker than you expected. What else do you got, Lawrence? Well, just one more for you here, and it's about the bubble itself because think about this the media has to via zoom teleconferences ask questions and then 
You're seeing an impassioned plea today on Twitter from Sam Amick of The Athletic saying, hey, if uh, you're not asking this question, we're asking it perhaps uh, directly and need to use that source material for our own story that we're making. So please maybe don't reiterate things before they're in the context of the question that had been asked. And this is one of those quotes that did get out fairly quickly. And I mean, it's almost part and parcel of the concept that with the bubble itself, people are going to ask questions about the bubble. And it's a nice resort there. They're at Walt Disney World Resorts. They're maybe not at the theme park, but if you've ever been to Orlando in that area, those are nice hotels. It's safe. The NBA is doing everything they can to keep this thing very safe and productive for all of the players. And when you want the honest answer, you got to go to Stephen Adams. And it's a fair question, but it's a question that's asked because there's curiosity about the bubble. And here's what the Thunder Stephen Adams had to say to a question he fielded about the bubble itself. Mentally, how's the how's the adjustment been to dealing with life, constantly living with your your teammates and not really having an opportunity to get away and just overall your thoughts on life inside the bubble right now? Uh, it's all good, mate. Um, let's, get, let's be clear, mate. This, this is not Syria, mate. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not that hard. It's not that difficult, mate. You know what I mean? It's, we're living in a bloody resort, you know. Everyone's got to complain. Everyone has their own preferences, mate. But you know, it's not, <laughs> it's not anything too serious. It's just a bit of a uh, bit of dry food here and there, and yeah, get bored every now and then. But yeah, it's all good, man. It's pretty cool. It's actually pretty cool because you actually um, get to interact with uh, a couple of the other teams, players on the other teams, you know. So that's been pretty cool. Stephen Adams. Always a straight shooter, telling it like it is, and uh, in that case, it's it's a pretty honest and sobering assessment of what this is. It's it's work. I mean, they are in a work retreat, so to speak. Yeah, it, it, it's. I, I'm actually very happy that Stephen Adams had said this, and 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 it got out there as far as it did, uh, it, because we saw a lot of you know the, the the first week that the bubble landed. There was a lot of you know NBA players taking pictures of the meals they were having and 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 kind of you know giving thumbs down to some of the things that were going on inside the bubble. For Stephen Adams to come out and really tell it like it is, and and and, and you know as nonchalantly as he did, like listen, we're, we're not we're not locked in, and, and he used you know the country of Syria where it's not you know it's not the easy easiest of living there, and and pretty much said we're we're okay, we're not struggling, we're we're still uh, you know getting the best of you know a situation in, in terms of you know the, the, the where they're staying the food that they're eating uh the way that they're able to live it's still a better situation than a lot of people are going through at the moment and if anyone knows about struggle it's steven adams i mean this is a guy that uh you know grew up with with 17 other siblings uh he's 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 had to uh he's had to share space he's had to fight for things amongst siblings he's had to go through it all uh for him to come and give us the perspective to us normal people that really don't know what the high life is all about and and say flat out it's not that bad i i give him a thumbs up there and, and i'm really happy that he was one of the guys that you know have come out and said that it, it could be a lot worse, and and we needed to hear that because it was getting a little ridiculous with all the uh, thumbs down for all the food and and everything else that uh you know the the, the NBA players aren't accustomed to getting uh, at the elite level and 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 what they've been fed so far or how they've been treated so far in the bubble. Um, you know, Stephen Adams, is, you know, aside from his comments just now, 
this is a dude that you know you could pretty much write a movie about his NBA journey. It's he wasn't you know expected. You know, of course, he's a seven footer. Maybe you would think that uh, you know you'd have a chance to to make it at the professional ranks, but to make it to the NBA the way he has to sign the contract he did, uh, you know, and, and to develop you know in college where uh, he went to Pittsburgh and, and and really wasn't showing much, and then get drafted in the first round, uh, off, basically off of a, a couple of seasons. And here he is. He's a, he's one of the best centers in the NBA, playing a style that is really becoming sort of extinct. Doesn't shoot threes. Uh, he, he doesn't run very fast. You know, he's, he's very lumbering and slow up and down the court, and still finds a way to contribute on a uh, Thunder team that's headed towards the playoffs. When many people expected him not to even scratch that. So, uh, Stephen Adams. I'm I'm a big Stephen Adams fan. He's uh he gets a thumbs up for me, uh, and I know for the people out listening out in the Southern Hemisphere and New Zealand especially, uh, I hope one day he does indeed find a way to play for the New Zealand national team. I think that would mean so much to the country and really the growth of basketball in New Zealand. So Stephen Adams, I'm a big fan of Stephen Adams, and hope that one day he finds a way to put on the tall black jersey. That's all the sound we have at the moment, and but first we will uh, remind you that you can hear Lawrence's voice on our sister podcast, Sound System FC. The newest edition is up and live, talking various leagues around the world. First of all, congratulations to Real Madrid, adding another trophy to their case, and shout out to one of my favorite footballers ever, Zinedine Zidane. I'm probably not the biggest fan of his fashion, but I am a big fan of his football, and he gets to add a champion, a champion level manager to his resume as well. Uh, having Real Madrid go through La Liga, and now they're looking into maybe go deep into Champions League. Lawrence, what do we have on this episode of Sound System FC this week? Well, I want to say, you know, it was so astonishing to me several years ago being around the NBA, on buses, around teams, and watching just how much soccer that folks from around the NBA were watching and talking about. It, it's it's almost on par with the NBA itself. So it got me thinking, you know what? We do NBA Sound System. How about we do Sound System FC as just a, like you call it, a sister offering to all of what we do here on NBA Sound System. So Sound System FC is looking forward to the Apertura 2020 in Liga MX, in addition to what you talked about with Real Madrid. But uh, just let me just give you just a little taste of what uh, co-host Bo Byerly and I are doing on this current edition of Sound System FC. That's right. It's time for that football down south. Yes, football and inglés is here. And I'll tell you this, Bo, as we look at the Copa por México wrapping up with Jonathan Rodriguez taking care of business for Cruz Azul and getting the machine past the goats. Yeah, yeah all right, you get the point. But uh, the, the, the goal here is to talk world soccer and uh, share a lot of those stories and do it in the same way that you and Micah and uh, Alex and... All of the crew, Scott and Gil and, and everybody who's part of NBA Sound System do, but for soccer and uh, Liga MX, uh, a big heavy dose with the uh, Apertura beginning and more sports starting up all the time. So uh, I'll get out of your hair. Thank you for uh, letting me share the stage with you for just a little bit to show off a little bit of the Sound System FC and also bring in some of the sound like we do on Sound System FC. 
Yeah, I appreciate you coming on and uh, and tagging in for Mike Adams, who again is off this week, but we'll be back next week. Again, you can subscribe to Sound System FC on Apple Podcasts. I suggest you do so if you are a soccer fan. Uh, keep up to date. Those guys are doing a terrific job over there. All right, to close the show, I said off the top that we, or I, will tell you who I believe is the most underrated all-NBA performer this season. And in my opinion, it is Damian Lillard. I, I asked myself the question over the weekend, um, who is the most dangerous offensive player in the league? Right now, if for my money, if all things were you know normal under normal circumstances, everyone would be healthy. It's without question Stephen Curry. I mean, you, you can't argue that. And then a close second for me is Kevin Durant. Those two, when healthy, I think are pound for pound the best offensive weapons in the game. I, I don't think there's much they can do on the offensive side of the or There's not much that they can't do on the offensive side of the court. And Steph shooting is just another level. Uh, but with those two guys out and, and, and really not participating in the 22-team NBA bubble, I think Damian Lillard should be considered one of the best offensive weapons heading into the bubble. You look at what he's doing this season. He's averaging averaging 28.9 points per game, 7.8 assists. Those are both career highs. His PR of 26.2 and his true shooting of 61.9%, also both career highs. And he's elevated his game despite the fact that Yusuf Nurkic have gotten hurt, Zach Collins has gotten hurt. As a matter of fact, they had to pull Carmelo Anthony off of the couch to try and get him to dress and play the season because they had that many injuries out in Portland. And Lillard has taken it upon himself to elevate his game and become one of the best players in the NBA. Uh, according to Basketball Reference, this season, Lillard leads the league in both offensive win shares at 8.9 and offensive box score plus minus at 7.9. And normally when that happens, uh, it normally means that you're playing at an MVP level. Of the seven MVPs, the last seven MVPs, four of them have led the league in offensive win shares and offensive box score plus minus. So LeBron James in 2013 wins the MVP, led the league in both those categories. Kevin Durant wins the MVP in 2014, led the league in both those categories. Steph wins it in back-to-back years. He led the league in both those categories in 2016. Russell Westbrook, we know about the historical season. We know about the triple doubles. He did not lead the league in those categories. But James Harden, the following year, led the league in both those categories. And he walked away with the MVP award trophy. So normally when you're playing at a high level offensively, you're going to get some MVP love. And I know that Lillard's not going to get MVP love this season. As a matter of fact, when you take a look at Basketball References MVP award tracker, he's not even in the top 10 this season. As a matter of fact, Kyle Lowry ranks ninth. Chris Middleton ranks eighth. No Damian Lillard. And, and that has a lot to do with the fact that the Portland Trailblazers have just had an awful season in terms of record. Uh, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel to try and fight their way into the playoffs this year. They may get there with, due to the playing game, but a lot of that had to do again with injuries. Uh, but what, what's kind of made Lillard so special offensively, in my opinion, this season is the way that he's been able to expand his range. He's now become, uh, as soon as he crosses the court, he's now become a guy just like Steph Curry, who's already in range. 
Uh, right now, he's shooting at 34, sorry, 39.4% from three-point range. And he's actually upped his difficulty. So on shots between 30 and 34 feet, that's way out there. That's that's pretty much Steph Curry range. This season, Damian Lillard is shooting 41.2% from that range. And it doesn't stop there. Even further out, 35 to 39 feet out, Damian Lillard is shooting 66.7%. Now, granted, that's only on nine attempts this season from that range. But if I want to put this into context, if you think of one of the greatest shooters or the greatest shooter in NBA history in Stephen Curry, from that range, 35 to 39 feet out, he's only taken five shots. That's the most in his career. He's never taken more than five shots for an entire season from that range, and he hit 40% on them. Lillard has taken nine. He's shooting 66.7% this year from that range. He's become, is he, is he as good as a shooter as Steph? Probably not. He's, you know, Steph Curry, like I said, is the greatest shooter we've ever seen. But Lillard has now extended his range to even further than Steph has extended his range to. And, and that's what's made him special as an offensive weapon. And I, I know that the spotlight is not normally on Portland. But it's going to be a little bit brighter going into the Orlando bubble. There's not much to play for for a lot of these teams. There's a lot of playoff spots that are already locked up. But Portland is one of those teams that is playing for the final seed in the Western Conference. The spotlight is going to be on Dame Lillard. Like I said, he's not going to win the MVP. But he is playing at an MVP level. His numbers have been incredible. He's going to make All-NBA. In fact, if you go to NBA.com, he's on my All-NBA second team in the backcourt alongside Luka Doncic. And I think that he should be there. He's no question about it. He should make All-NBA this season. He's one of the best offensive threats in the league. I just think that he deserves a little bit more uh, praise for what he's done, not only this year, but throughout his career. And I know he has you know, All-NBA awards or All-NBA nods. He's been there four times. I know he's been at the All-Star game five times. But it still feels like any time... You talk about some of the, the best offensive players, or you even just talk about the best players across the league, and you, you ask people to give top tens. Damon Lillard sort of falls a little bit under the radar. Normally, he's either he's at the very bottom of that top ten, or he's outside the top ten on most people's list. I, I think he's firmly a top ten player, and right now he should be mentioned as one of the best offensive threats in the NBA. I don't know about you, but I've been on a uh, a big reading binge uh, throughout this off season. Uh, what, what, I, not, it's not even off season. Throughout this pause, uh, the NBA pause. I've read a couple of books, um, and it, it's it's kind of become my new pastime without sport. And I know that you know sports coming back, and that's going to change things for a lot of people. But you should still get out there and read, read to achieve. Remember, remember those, uh, remember those those commercials that we had in the NBA back in the day when they used to tell us to read books. I wish I listened to them when I was younger. Uh, but I'm telling you right here on NBA Sound System that you should do just that. So before we get out of here this week on NBA Sound System, and we remind you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review. Also, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to Sound System FC, rate them and review them follow us on social media at nba sound system a reminder that mike adams will be back in the co-host chair with me next week as we lead you up to the restart of the nba season i can't wait for that but right now hang on tight we have an interview for a book some summer reading if you will as we close the show right here on nba sound system 
With the summer comes summertime reading lists and NBA fans everywhere enjoying books as they await basketball's restart. And the author of a brand new book, Agu Abanez Baldor, joining us to talk about Dynasty and this book breaking down the rise and falls of the greatest teams in NBA history. But I want to make it active, Agu, and ask you right off the top, if you're building a team from scratch in today's NBA, what of the teams that we're seeing that are building a great future for themselves are potential dynasties? Thank you. So if we're looking at teams starting from scratch, or at least teams that are not contending immediately right now, I think the number one team has to be the Mavericks for sure. They're closer to a dark horse than anything else right now, but they're still a bit young with Luka Doncic only being in his second year in the NBA. But what they've got is a really enthusiastic front office who wants to uh, expel the errors from their past with Dirk Nowitzki and trading away their entire title team. They've got a guy in Mark Cuban who is willing to spend as much money as he needs to to have a championship team again. And they've got Luka Doncic, like the best player under 22 years old in the NBA, and Kristaps Porzingis, who towards the end of the season, before the season was suspended to, uh, for COVID, was looking like his old self in New York. So those two players together, both sub-25 years old, lots of cap space, lots of time to grow, a great coach for Rick Carlisle. I would put Dallas on the map as a potential dynasty in the future for sure. Let's talk about your book, Dynasty. It's written in three parts. Part one, a respect your elders set of chapters where the first dynasties in the NBA are explored, the Minneapolis Lakers and Bill Russell's Celtics, and then more modern eras start coming into play in your part two. And then a part three where you talk about teams or players that maybe aren't quite dynasties, but you want to make sure to mention them nonetheless. What gave you the idea for this book? And as New Degree Press puts it out, what are your hopes for how you share these stories with fans? So basically all I wanted to accomplish in the book was we've got these teams that have won tons of titles in the NBA. And this isn't how everyone defines dynasties, but for the purposes of the book, I went with any team that won three titles in a five-year period. If you ruled half a decade in the NBA, I'm counting you as a dynasty. And it's only happened eight times with specific teams. Technically, the Jordan Bulls do it twice, but we count it as one dynasty because it's uh, the same iteration of a team. I just wanted to see what there's only seven or eight teams that have done this, if there's anything in common with them. You know, I'm sure that they have similar ideologies or ways that were built, but I've never seen it put into like literature or a video or something like that. So I just wanted to see that. Um, and as I was writing it, I developed like a very naive formula to sort of quantify everything. It's just eight categories. And you can earn points depending on it. For example, category four is add 15 points to your score for every all-star you had on the roster. You know, really simple stuff like that. You get points for drafting players. You get points for retaining players after championships. Eight categories, you divide by eight after it, and that's like the dynasty score. So what we did was I applied it to all the dynasties that we talked about, and then I applied it to the 30 teams today to sort of um, – compare and contrast the scores of today to the scores of the past to see if anyone's like on the way, you know, and I listed them 30 to one and I wrote paragraphs on the top five teams that had them. Top five teams were Milwaukee, Lakers, Clippers, Toronto, surprisingly, and Boston. Um, 
I'm not going to tell you what order, so you know people can actually check out the book if they want to. And uh, one last thing for the bonus chapters. Yes, those were all just for fun, but they were teams that needed to be talked about, like the Larry Bird Celtics. They won three titles in six years, so they barely missed the cut. And I figured that if any national writers read this book, they would be very upset without Larry Bird's uh, induction. So I talked about him. I have a chapter about LeBron, who technically won three titles in five years on his own, but not with one team, so it's completely different. And I talked about the Oklahoma, uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook titled The Dynasty That was that Never Was. Basically, what they did was do everything right in building a dynasty and eventually it just fell apart. Three MVPs in six years and nothing to show for it. That's basically what I have for the whole book. Agu, how do people get a hold of Dynasty? It's going to be on Amazon. It's going to be in local bookstores. Um... That's pretty much it. Anywhere that you find books or see books, it's going to be there. Dynasty, subtitle, The Rise and Fall of the Greatest Teams in the NBA. Check it out. I'm kind of sarcastic, and I'm a little bit mean to the reader, so you can have a little bit of fun with it while you want. And that's about it. Yes, Dynasty from New Degree Press. Agua Banez Baldor, thank you so much for joining us here on NBA Sound System.